0: Hey, sports fans, Coach Nick here, and I'm pleased to announce I'm back to doing my podcast again by releasing my live shows I do on the new Locker Room app. So if you have an iPhone or iPad, download Locker Room, follow me at Bball Breakdown, and you can call into the show and discuss anything NBA you like. My show is every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific time and every Sunday at 9 a.m. Pacific. Hope to see you there, and in the meantime, enjoy the great conversation hey sports fans coach nick here and welcome to the sunday discussion over on the locker room app Uh, i am now posting these onto the uh, podcast as well so uh we got a much bigger audience there once i post it so if you want to come on and chop it up with me then you know you'll know you have even uh, more ears uh, over there as well which would be uh, i think uh, an exciting thing so Welcome one, welcome all, as you guys start streaming in here. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of things today. Uh, as I was getting prepared today for the show, uh, some interesting things were happening. Um, I dropped a video. I had to break down the Jazz versus the... Um, gosh, who did the Jazz just beat? Um, I'm going to tell you right now. I dropped the video. But anyway, uh, I did a video on the Jazz and we sort of looking at their offense and whether or not they're for real. So we're going to talk about that for a while. Uh, oh, they beat the Bucks. We can actually fold that into the box a little bit, maybe, if we want to. And uh, I was also prepping a video on Friday, which I'm probably going to drop uh, probably tomorrow. I think I might not have time to finish it up today, but uh, tomorrow on Lamello Ball, which is the title of the show. Uh, because I think it's time. It's time to talk about that. Uh, welcome anybody who might have been in the show uh, or into the, the, uh, the room last night. I ended up jumping into someone else's room. And like, I don't know, we went for like an hour or two hours or something in the middle of the night. Uh, it was kind of cool. So locker room was a way to go. And um, even, you know, if it, it broke out into like discussions about, you know, politics, it's crazy. So um, anyhow, don't forget, I want you to I want to hear from you. So please uh, request to speak. I might even just invite you to speak. Why not? And see if you take the bait uh, either way. But let's uh, let's have that discussion um, with, as soon as you're ready on this nice Sunday morning. Let's, let's, I don't know. Should we break out with LaMelo? Let's do it. LaMelo ball. Um, there was a lot of hand wringing for the first, I don't know, eight or 10 games of the season. He was shooting pretty badly. Um, and everyone was thinking, oh my God, this is the bust. It was a wasted third pick, this and that, whatever. Uh, I did see an interesting, um, uh, story about him just recently where they were talking about um, about him and Pistol Pete. Somebody on the Hornets compared him to uh, Pistol Pete and he actually went through and realized they were both picked third in the draft, which is uh, crazy. Uh, hey, Adam Khan wants to come on. Let's bring Adam in to talk. Adam, what's happening? Hey. Uh-oh. I don't hear you. Is my volume down? No? Hello? Hey, there you are. Uh-oh. We lost you. Are you back? Hello? Hello? There you are. What's up, right, Adam? There
1: we, there we go. What's up?
0: Hey. Talk so to me.
1: You're talking about LaMelo?
0: Yeah, we just just starting to. What, what are your thoughts?
1: I mean, LaMelo's been – I've been following LaMelo since he was in, like, like freshman year. Like, his yeah. family had the reality show and stuff. I used to watch all that. And I'm, <laughs> I, I'm just so happy to see him do well after everything.
0: Oh, I agree. You know, it's funny because obviously there was a lot of controversy. I mean, no one kind of remembers the father anymore, right? He's sort of been out of of the public eye much more. And letting the kids play and getting their shine, uh, it it felt like a lot of the negative stuff was just a reaction to his, you know, outsized personality. And, um, but, you know, listen, I, we we should give him a lot of kudos he raised three kids they all made it to the nba in some form or fashion one of this one of them is a good player and i think lamelo is going to be the best of them all and the pro- i think he's going to be an all-star
1: um yeah i remember there was like a thing on instagram a few days ago it was like lamelo's been like lamelo's been dominating grown men since he was a sophomore in high school but people didn't think he'd be good because his father was loud and it was just yeah. like it's all true because he was, like, when you saw this, like, this is nothing new. He was playing pro ball when he was, like, 15, 16, and he was just he was playing this well. And for someone that didn't have a dad like Lavar, this would mean a lot more to fans, but people always seemed like they disregarded it, especially after Lonzo was, like, kind of disappointing. People just kind of forgot about him and how good he was.
0: Well, here's the thing, because I kind of got some of the criticism. Uh, I understood it when he was in high school, like when he had that 100-point game. Um, and the style of play led you to believe like he wasn't really playing hard. He kind of, he's like too cool for school, kind of just sort of shifting around out there, not really, you know, giving it a lot of energy, uh, just tossing the ball up. And that actually might've been true. I almost feel like and I remember seeing him as a freshman, too, in the playoffs with his with Lonzo as a senior and thinking even then, like, this kid probably will be the best of them all because he was hanging as a ninth grader with these, you know, really good players as, as who are seniors. Um, but I wonder if it's more like to be able to do that, like you have to play so far above your age. That you kind of have to assume an air of like. There's a couple ways to go about this to where you can where you can actually function and do well. And, and I think his his decision was well. I'm going to just try and like be really cool about it. You know, not really show a lot of emotion and just sort of like you know. Uh, I, I I think that's sort of what people might have responded to a little bit. And as a result, he got a he got an unfair rap. But like you know, I covered him when he was in the NBL in, the, in Australia. And he was he was terrific against these grown men, and I think that's yes, the point is he's not intimidated. He's been playing against grown men since he was you know nine and 10, 11, 12, all those things in really hyper competitive situations. So it's great to see.
1: You know what was crazy was when he was a freshman. That team that won uh, the California State Championship, he was really an eighth grader because Lavar pushed him up a year so he'd be able to play one year with both of his brothers. So he was like the age of an eighth grader, and then the oh, years wow. he was. Really- the year he was really good when he averaged like 28 a game and he scored 92. He was really a freshman age-wise.
0: Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. So, yeah, that's the other thing is, you know, I tend to say we got to wait until um, – like Devin Booker is an example. He looked like he was 15 for – Several years of his NBA career. And I'm like, and like Austin Rivers, those guys, it's like, you got to wait till they at least like can have facial hair. They look like they're someone of an adult before we can start to really, you know, judge how good they're going to be. And, uh, and by the way, it's remarkable because he, he has gone through a change physically uh, in, in a very accelerated fashion, you know, over the last like couple of years. And you're seeing him develop. He, he looks a little bit more like Lonzo now, the way he moves, um, even the way he shoots that shot a little bit uh, that Lonzo used to shoot. Um, but, like, his numbers are insane since they put him in the starting lineup. In fact, there was a couple games before that where he was getting, like, almost, just about 30 minutes a game anyway. Um, you know, he's shooting, like, 45% from three, scoring, like, 21 a game, getting, I think, eight assists. I mean, these are these are all-star numbers almost already, and the guy is 19.
1: Yeah, he was um, – I remember the whole form thing when it was, like, like how he had, the like, the elbows flaring out and stuff. But now when I watch him shoot, even opposed to, like, Last year in the NBL or the year before, the years prior, his form doesn't look like, it looks like, it's it's not by any means conventional, but it looks like an NBA form at this point. Like, Uh, like when Lonzo came in, his form just looked like when you watched him, you're like, what is he doing? But I mean, Lamel's making the shots and the form looks okay to me.
0: Uh, I hear you. I mean, Lonzo certainly had a much more of a of a of a turn and a fling sideways almost on the ball, which is weird. Uh, and yeah, I think the only issue you might say with um, Lamelo is it's like a low set point. But you know, we see guys with low set points all over the place, uh, and and he's also very tall, so it's not going to be an issue uh, like getting blocked or anything. So yeah, and it's also it, it appears to me. Easily replicable. I, by the way, I kind of felt like Lonzo could also could have shot the way he shot coming into the NBA too and been solid. And there were moments when he was, you know, decent at that. But, um, but then obviously the problem with Lonzo was, you know, you couldn't really go to your right and pull up uh, and shoot that way. It was almost virtually impossible. Um, that said, yeah, so I, I have no problem with that, with what he's doing. In fact, it allows him to not jump hardly at all on his jump shots because he gets the power from a low set point. So in the fourth quarter, after playing 30 minutes, he's not necessarily going to be short because he's not relying on, like, you know, dead legs to shoot it.
1: Right. And also the one thing I've seen from breakdowns of the form, like how it is now, I know this is probably, this is a problem I feel like he's always had. He kind of changes his form throughout the course of a game. Like when, like, I, I don't really watch it that closely, but I've seen in other, like, YouTube videos and stuff, how, like, he kind of changes his set point sometimes and, like, stuff like that. But I mean, that'll probably just come with
0: time. Well, that by the way, that's also a notion of variability. As far as you know, my buddy Tommy uh, over at the B Biomechanics on Twitter. If you don't follow him, we're always interacting. And when he trains players, I've never seen a finer you know basketball trainer than him. And he works on the variability of set points arc hand placement because in game that you need to be able to have, you know, that will happen in the course, especially off the dribble where things will change quickly. And uh, you can train your nervous system to be uh, used to those different variations. So I think that's almost like a good thing as long as he's training it properly. But again, um, he's, he's slowly, he's figuring it out. I mean, this is a long enough stretch for me when you get to eight or 10 games where, you know, when you shoot that well, that's, that indicates something that's not just a fluke. But we got Jason wants to come in here and talk too. I'm doing a new thing. I right? bring everybody in all at once to the stage. Uh, let's let's chop it up. Let's see what's up, Jason. Hey, what's going on?
2: Um, so I wanted to um basically say that uh, Lamelo is the most complete player of all the brothers. Um, defensively, he has work to do, but because he's been the youngest brother and has the had has had the longest time to develop. Um, seeing the things that were wrong in, in mm. uh, Lonzo's game, LeAngelo's game, and he's also had the time to mature. Um, you know, Lonzo was first, you know, so when, you know, you go from, you know, maybe your dad making $150,000 a year to your brother making $4 million a year and, you know, your dad – having a part of that, and you guys move into a different house, and then you have to move to um, Europe, and you know, the the um, Triple B brand was making a lot of money. It forced him to kind of grow up, and so there was a, a saying, you know, they were talking about um, yesterday, I was in a room, and they were saying, well, you know, uh, you were kind of talking about it a little bit, too, the kind of fancy-free or too-cool-for-school type attitude, and I think that has diminished over time mm-hmm. because, you know, um, having to go to Australia and the different uh, stops along the road has forced him to grow up. And so I think he will be, when it's all said and done, a multiple all star. And uh, I think he actually saved the Charlotte, Hornet, Charlotte Hornets franchise. Oh, I,
0: I agree. I mean, the Hornets are now a team that you want to watch. Um, and they were already kind of developing that. Uh, on their way with Devontae Graham, they were like, you know, sort of, you know, moments. But, you know, the the, it, the most funny thing about this, especially because they're brothers, is that they share the same, uh, you know, 60-foot pass for alley-oops and, and, uh, and assists gene. And it, it makes me want to sit down with LeVar or somebody to figure out, how they taught that or what made them so willing, because it is, it's, it shouldn't be so rare to see guys throwing those passes. And yet it is right. Like we don't, it's definitely a thing that they do and they've been doing since the beginning. Uh, and I'm really fascinated by that because um, like, imagine if, if every team had a, a guy that could do that. I mean, I think it could change the game, I and mean, the game would be crazy, right, if you had multiple guys on the team who could all throw those passes and want to because now you're talking about the rest of the team is going to cut down the court really fast. It inspires all of that. Um, imagine that if you had, like, three or four of those in a row. <laughs> maybe that, maybe people wouldn't like that, but I would like to figure out that how that they taught that.
3: I, I, sorry, I think that chemistry comes from just, like, playing with your brothers and being – you have to be so unselfish – to give the ball up on a, a long, you know, outlet pass like that, because you know you're not getting it back and getting a score, right? You know you're uh-huh. not going to be a part of that bucket. So it comes from being unselfish. And when you have Jello down running down court and Lonzo, like an ex quarterback, just throwing it all the way down there, and Jello get a, either a three or a layup, it just inspires the whole team. Like, yo, we can get jumps like this. Like, we can get layups. We can blow teams out. And I think it just comes from unselfish.
0: You know, you know what's funny? Yeah, go ahead. Uh,
1: I was going to say, as far as the defense goes, it's by no means good. But coming in, I feel like people looked at him like he'd be a Trey Young-level bad defender. And really, like, Charlotte runs that zone when he's in. I don't know exactly what zone it is. But it's not. he's not, like, god-awful when you're watching him in that zone. He's committed to it. He gets steals. And I know that doesn't mean everything. But he's much a much better defender than I feel like everyone thought he'd be. Oh,
0: yeah. I no, mean, no, he's definitely
2: he's not an active defender. Um, I, I- – I'm. I'm not saying he. Um. To defend my point, I wasn't saying that he is a bad defender, but to be an elite player in this in this league, I feel like what is going to separate you because offensively everybody can score at this point. It, the game has changed and evolved so much. The defensive end is right. where you're going to set yourself apart. You look at a LeBron James, a Kawhi Leonard, a uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo you're going to set your, yourself apart on the defensive end. Um, but, yeah, that and, and speaking to the, the outlet pass, I mean, hooping, you know, it's it's kind of one of those things that either it's trained uh, and shout-out to LeVar because he's a hell of a basketball trainer. And, you know, the braggadocio and the bravado, a lot of people don't like it. But you can't deny his skills at, at, as a basketball trainer and the things that he's taught
0: you know what I want to actually praise him for the most is these kids are respectful. They're unselfish. You know, they they never look at the referee the wrong way. You know, or complain. Uh, they never did that in high school, which is really impressive because high school refs can just be the you know dumbfounding by what the calls they make. And and they never ever got in any situations where that was a problem. So I mean, that's amazing. And all the things that we complain about AAU and the kids these days and all that kind of stuff. It's like he has these three kids that are all business. They, they they're, you know, so respectful of the game. And I wanna I, make sure like that that is called out because uh, that's really impressive, you know, especially from a guy who it looks like, from the outward presentation uh, in terms of Levar, that you would think the kids would be running wild and crazy and have, you know, would be
2: really hard to uh, to coach. In fact, it's the opposite. Most definitely, um, I, I, you know, not to to throw the race card and just think that when, <laughs> when you're talking about black kids and 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 a black man, it's usually like you know, there's either. It's, it's kind of a no-nonsense thing. It's like, you know, yes, sir, no, sir. Mm-hmm. You know, now growing up in California, it's, it's a little bit more relaxed. But um, he, you can tell, even watching a TV show, it's like you can go up to a point. Mm-hmm. But after that, you know, it's all about respect. Um, you know, at the end of, you know, the, the, the base is all about respect when it comes to their home life and their love and respect of their mother. And, you know, it, when she got sick and how they were all, you know, wanting to cater to her and, you know, Alonzo kind of gets a bad rap because, you know, the year he became everything, his mother had a stroke. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, uh, it's kind of one of those things where, you know, imagine the most important person in your life Having a, a huge setback mm-hmm. the moment you get everything that you've always dreamed of. So, um, shout out to Lonzo for for whether.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Steven, did you want to
4: add to this? Well, um, not specifically about like the personal, I guess, relationship with uh, Lamelo Ball, but I was I was rewatching uh, some of your old videos, Uh-oh. and I was I was um, I remember watching the um, the Samaki Walker video that you did. Oh yeah, uh, discussing triangle, and he mentioned about how in the triangle it's very critical that they make hard cuts and they have to be they have to be very decisive um, in order to be very effective on those. And I feel like um, like the intention of the players that are doing that is important for the other player that's get, getting the assist that. And I feel like um, I wonder if that's also the similar in the outlet passes that Milamelo and Lonzo Ball does. You know, there's there's players like LeBron James that are willing to do that, and I feel like there are players on that team that know that LeBron or LaMelo will do that and will make those kind of runs, um, which maybe I I wonder if that kind of attributes to uh, that being more frequent in LaMelo's game or Lonzo's game.
0: Well, you know, I got ripped uh, a couple of years ago when I had tweeted out something about Lonzo. Like even when Lonzo went out of the game, you'd see some of his teammates throwing those kind of passes. And his effect uh, on the game when he's not in. And people thought that was the dumbest thing they'd ever heard. I think even TNT threw it out on, the, on, the, on a quick shot on the screen but it was like what you just said is exactly right. Like that ends up inspiring a lot of people. I, I can remember like in pickup, you know, I would hit a couple threes like a pickup, and then invariably the bad version of that is some other teammate in mind's like, well, oh, I'm going to show I can do that too, and just start throwing up threes, right? And then they're bricking all over the place. It's annoying. But in the same context, it's like you throw a couple of those passes, and then the crowd reacts, uh, you know, and then and then they're like, oh, I want to try that, and then also I want to run and get that because, like we someone said earlier, it's like I get to score on that, and I know he's going to throw it to me. So it changes the whole complexion of the game in that Magic Johnson kind of way. Um, And then it leads to wins. You know, but can I get wonky for a second on the basketball stuff? Because you mentioned hard cutting and the Samaki Walker thing, the triangle. And I can remember getting on a team back then about not cutting hard enough And it's my fault. And I realize now that the way we teach lifting the feet in the air, both feet in the air, and then you split to go on the catch for attacking on the catch. No more of this triple threat stuff anymore. You split your feet and go. That is what we were missing teaching how to cut. And if we were able to teach lifting both feet and then splitting to go when you're off ball, that's that explosion that we're looking for that like some guys were good at and other guys weren't. And coaches like me didn't realize what they were doing until much later, and now we can actually teach that. So in a way, we can almost
4: guarantee that we're going to get all those hard cuts, if that makes sense. Is, is it more like an effort thing, or is it more of a technique thing? For I think it's definitely yeah, a I technique thing. Um, yeah,
2: go ahead, yeah, Jason. It's a technique thing. Um, in the late 90s, early 2000s, there was a, 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 a emphasis on a hesitation a cut where it's it's like almost like like you were talking about the th- triple threat cut off of like a, a, a pick or um, instead of a a hard cut a di- a hard diving cut if if you're understanding what I'm saying if you can visualize what I'm talking about where it's it's like a um it's almost like like a a crossover where it's like a a hard on left go right cut instead of a dive cut um, yeah and. It changed the game. It changed the 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 way people thought about, um, you know, pick action and 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 things like that. So when you're talking about, and I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but when you're talking about um, the the ball brothers, and 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 like you were saying, um, um, LeBron, he. You know he directs his teammates, bro. If you're gonna cut that way, cut that way. And I got you. I see you. It's it's. I I talk with my brother-in-law all the time. We you know we're both of us being former point guards. The one thing you would hate is a guy to start cutting and then cut back. It's like no 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 no. If you're gonna cut, cut that way. Mm-hmm. And I see you. I got you. And um, yeah, it, it, you can tell that his his play in spite or their play. Speaking of Lamelo. And, and Lonzo inspire their teammates to be able to make those cuts and know that even if they don't get the ball, they're, they're PG. But, you know, for, for me, I feel like it's it's almost similar
4: to kind of like uh, maybe um like a football player where maybe like a wide receiver would be making these these runs like 100% of the time every time and the quarterback just does not see it. And at a certain point, I'm pretty sure he would be frustrated. It's like, why am I putting all this effort into this run where he's not even going to like look at me and see me? I feel like that could be like a possibility in, in a basketball court where like this guy is like making a cut, hundred percent. Like they they're, they're never getting the pads, and so they they just kind of become pessimistic and kind of very true. Halfway give their. Cut I agree with
3: it. that, but you have to stay the course. You know, you Facts. have to like kind of keep the defense honest. You know what I'm saying? Like route running, you have to you have to get it to the point where the defense is always honoring your goals. no matter if it's a fake or whether it's real, because they have to honor it. It's a very fundamental thing to finish your, your cuts, finish your routes. I, 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 even if it's a, a ball fake, a pump fake, everything should be honored. You know yeah. what I'm saying? If you mm-hmm. understand.
0: Yeah. And then also that you never want to, you know, do a uh, start a backdoor cut and then stop in the middle because <laughs> we always oh, see the ball man. get thrown out of bounds. I um, think
3: the better the um, quarterback is and the better the point guard's vision is, the more inspired. You are to run your route or cut. True,
0: and- no, no question, and I, I think that's at every level of basketball. Like even when I was playing like pickup in my 20s in LA, you know, I would throw all those crazy passes from the high post, and I got to tell you, like people started cutting more because of that. And that you know, and again, is it something about my personality that leads me to want to do that versus someone else's personality that they're born with and hardwired to have that they they simply do not want to be that kind of passer because. I've been studying Absolutely. this to figure out. You know, you watch Ted Osich, who played for the Clippers for a few minutes, but, like, he is, you know, a master uh, in Europe, you know, and was before that of, of just passing the ball. And you have to wonder if, like, can you teach that? Or do the coaches say they simply shrug and be like, oh, we, we got one this year that does that, and we don't know why, we don't know how, and we're going to enjoy it, but we're not going to be able to replicate that. And that's a big question because I almost feel like there is a way, right? You can teach guys to you throw no-look passes, right?
2: Yes, you can. You can, you can teach guys to become a better passer, but you have to... Okay, so first and foremost, my favorite player growing up was Magic Johnson. Now, I only caught the tail end of Magic's career, but a kid from Inglewood, California, Magic Johnson, it, mm-hmm. it, it just goes, right? There has to be something in you that's kind of inspired by these passes, right? You have to kind of want... To make these ooh ah passes, uh, when you're talking about the the game of basketball, a lot of these kids grow up now. We're in a, a, a Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Trey Young, maybe Luka Doncic. It, it it depends on who the superstars are. Like we're gonna see a bunch of nutmegs from you know seventh seventh graders and eighth graders after the virus. You know what I mean? it's because that's who they're watching on tv so they're going to see you know they're going to be trying to do nutmegs like like Trey or you know <laughs> Luca Luca does have that kind of passing in his game so maybe we will see that but you can't there has to be a small desire and then it can be developed i don't yes. think you can just put that into
0: You know, I I talked to Trey Young about that last year when he was in LA about the nutmegging because you know I'm like, yeah, there might be times when it is the fundamental way to make that pass or make that play because he'll run it down and keep dribbling. And I asked him, I said, do you do you practice that? And he looked at me, he's like, no, I just do it. And it's like, wow, how do you how do you have the balls to do that in a NBA game, um, without actually like practicing that? I mean, maybe he's being a little cagey, and maybe he does a little bit, but like. Uh, that's the thing. I, I, why not devise a drill where you come down, Sutter Step, and then just triple it between your guys' legs? Um, by the way, which also reminds me of Bojan Bogdanovich in the Utah versus the Bucks game. He had a play where uh, I think it was DiVincenzo dives for a, a, a skip pass that was going to Bojan. And in the air, Bojan catches it. And as DiVincenzo is running by, he has to move the ball sort of toward behind, be on the back he keeps going behind the back pass in the air to uh, uh, Donovan Mitchell in the corner. And it was fancy. It was really impressive, but you know what? It was, it was probably the best way to get the ball to the corner without it getting uh, deflected. And that's the kind of stuff I see. I'm like, man, let's just get in the gym and let's practice that. I guess. You
1: know, Bojan is oh. crafty. I remember last year, I think it was against the Mavericks and like Porzingis was on him late game. And he like um took the ball and like, kept it in his hands, like didn't dribble or anything, and put it between Porzingis' legs and whoever was guarding him. And, I mean, it looks kind of funny because it's not something people do. But if stuff like that is the best basketball play, it's the best
3: basketball play. Yeah, I don't think everything should be taught, right? Certain things should be um, developed by players. It's their unique swagger. It's their only thing. Because if they develop it on their own, then they were inspired enough to develop the skill. And ah. if you teach it, you're taking something from another area that they have a natural feel at, and and a lot of people that develop great passing instincts, they a, a lot of them um develop um maybe a scoring knack first. So the defense has to be honest, you know what I mean? They have to, to guard them, and then they then they you know or, or they respect their driving ability, and then okay, I can kick it back door. Or I can kick it out to the uh, shooter. You know what I'm saying? So they develop certain skills off of other skills, you know, sometimes. You
0: know? Yeah, that's really interesting. I, and I totally hear you. You almost take away the fun of it when you just kind of drill it out of the uh, – drill it into uh, these players. So I suppose the answer then is you have to create the environment that allows the creativity. And, yeah. like, and I, I, as a coach, man. I almost say – yeah, like yeah, I'd almost say as a coach in a in a practice, it'd be okay, you come up with your own kind of pass. I want to see it, but you it's up to you how you want to do that. I mean, maybe Tayot maybe you didn't see this. I've shared it. He bounced the ball off of his head to the high post as he before he cut. I saw
3: like, that. What is and, that? And, you and you know how do you I
0: mean you know, that is amazing.
3: I can almost guarantee he didn't he practice that. Right. Certain people it's a swagger. It's an instinct. It's, if you get people that play the game 30 years and then they do a move that they've never done before because it's like I was feeling that way. I, like certain people, they, they bleed this creativity and, and just, you know, um, like like James Harden revolutionizing the step back. I mean, you have to want to do something creative that's never been seen and daring and you have to have the audacity, kind
2: of, you know. Yeah, you- I want to throw some love to White Chocolate real quick, Jason Williams, <laughs> and um, you know his his when he threw the ball off his elbow. Exactly, he had done it before in practice, but never in a game. But it was when he did it in practice. He said it was spontaneous. Like when when you spend hours and hours and hours around a game, something about you, and especially as a PG. When you're spending hours and hours and hours with this ball in your hand, you're you understand what you're capable of. Um, I used to throw the ball behind my head a lot because I understood that that was the last place that a defender was looking to, you know, try to swipe the ball from, and it works. It works so much, but that's something that I developed, and you know, of course, guys are gonna try it, but you know, I've been doing it for the last three, four months. You've just watched me do it. And now you're going to try to replicate it in 15 minutes. It's not going to work. But it's the love of the game. You know, he was talking about um, you're taking away something else from a skill tree. You know, when you're not practicing something and you're not putting it in your arsenal. um, I'm sorry. When you're practicing something and you're putting it in your arsenal, it doesn't become from a, a spontaneous play. You try to make it happen in the game, and you know it's like bouncing the ball off somebody's head. You can't think about doing that. That has exactly.
4: I, I want to um, ask I you a question something. Um, I, I kind of like tie it back to Lamella Ball story. Um, I, I think the fascinating thing about Lamella Ball was it, it, I, I don't know if you guys remember Kimo Slice. He was like this YouTube sensation where he got in a street brawl. And he decided to go to UFC, and everyone was kind of doubting, like, will he be able to translate into, you know, actual, like, UFC fighting? And I don't know how that went, but I think the whole fascination with LaMelo Ball and Lonzo Ball were, like, there are these Mm -hmm. Instagram sensations. Will they be able to translate into NBA game? But I think one thing that LaMelo Ball kind of had an advantage was was playing in Europe. And I I think... you know, from what I've experienced, like players that come over from Europe, like Monte Ginobili or Luca Doncic, they have a different kind of like a different way of playing that they develop in Europe, and it kind of, their technique kind of bleeds over to the NBA. Like people adapt it, like James Harden or du- uh, Dwayne Wade using the Euro step or Luca Doncic's passing. I think they're there, there, there's a different kind of play. I feel like that kind of gives them maybe advantage. Maybe they're maybe it's the fact that they're playing at a competitive level 24 seven instead of playing in college. Um, um,
0: well, I think it's also the style of the NBA. I think it's, um, it's much more wide open and fast now. So there's a lot more opportunities like in the open court where suddenly you're not being pounded on the whole time like you would have seen in the 90s when they were you know, winning 90 to 89. Uh, games and so uh, as a result, it's like it's freer. You know, you have space to move around now with all the shooting. Now the defense needs to be spread farther, so that's you know we're not sort of concentrating everything into the paint, which made it harder to be able to get to the rim and finish. So that's also part of it. You know, we brought this up last night in the other talk where like Scotty Pippen was you know the best wing defender of his generation, I think, without question, and maybe of all time, but he didn't have to deal with the kind of dribbling ability that every single guard in the NBA, you know, one through 15 has now, right? Maybe an inside out, a crossover, maybe Iverson crossover, you know, white chocolate didn't come out until like, you know, I think after Pippen was done. So, you know what I mean? So he's, he's shutting guys down off the dribble who, you know, didn't do what they do now. And I don't, I wonder if it would be even possible to do what he was able to do back then now.
4: Yeah, European players. That, I mean, like, for example, like Luka Doncic, like he came up from like a system, like a uh, Real Madrid system. You know, where they're pretty much in an academy since their young age, and they're dedicating their whole lives to being basketball. Do you feel like that may be like a? I mean, I don't think that's a possible like model that American American like the US can follow because of just how the NBA works in terms of like draft and stuff. But do you think that kind of gives them <laughs> an advantage uh, over NBA players that come over from college? Yeah,
0: I, I I agree. I think that the way they're teaching shooting and the fundamentals in the, in Europe is better than what we do here. And I don't know. I think we might be able to do it. I mean, we're seeing the G League have those high schoolers come straight to them, uh, which is probably the beginning of something like that. Um, but um, here's the only problem with, like, dedicating yourself at age 9, 10, 11, 12, you know, to one sport that, you know, I would imagine that a lot of, like, trainers and certainly functional movement guys and, and that kind of side and strength and conditioning – would argue that you know multi multi sports while they're developing younger is good uh, for all around balance and, and explosion all those different things uh, and not getting burnt out. So there might be a notion of that, but then again, I mean, look at Luca. He doesn't look burnt out to me. Does he look Does he look that way to you?
4: No. You know what? I, you know, I feel like um, like in sports, like in ge- like sports in general, uh, when you're starting out like at a young age, like when there is no f- like physical kind of uh, difference between like players like a different ethnicity right like skill is like such an important part of like how good you are but at a certain point when you become like when you start going through like hormones and like you know like your uh, athleticism it's like you, you start growing like that's when like kind of like athleticism and skills kind of even out where like someone that's not as skilled um can't really compete with someone or someone that's like more right. athletic can you know be better than someone that's like m- way more skilled but way less athletic no, I feel like, but, if, you know, if you dedicate, like, those, you know, adolescent age towards, like, just one skill of basketball, I feel like, and maybe I'm going, like, maybe to, like, Play-Doh here, but if you dedicate one thing to, at a certain age uh, growing up, I feel like they can be better where they're, when they reach the prime of their kind of, like, their physical growth, they're balanced with the skills, with the athleticism, um, but I, I, I feel like playing multiple sports, sport, I, I get the idea of, like, you know, then become good athletic overall but you know for me that just it just feels like they're diluting their skill, their basketball skills uh, when they should be, you know, maybe focusing on more of the fundamentals. Yeah. I, I would argue that,
0: like, w- really quickly, like football and baseball are the ones that really are detrimental only because football, obviously, there's some devastating injuries that you can occur and CTE, but then also baseball with throwing, that kind of a repetition can destroy the shoulder. Whereas basketball repetition, it is such an open game, uh, skill wise, uh, that it's not like you're going to wear down very specific parts of your. I mean, okay, the knees, maybe, but like that happens everywhere. Uh, but other than that, it's like, a little bit more of a balanced thing, uh, Lord. did you want to add to that?
3: Uh, yeah, man. Um, I just think in, in basketball, if you're if you're playing football when you're young, you, it does you, you do get that toughness, right? You do you you gotta think Allen Iverson, right? I think football and things like that when you're young helps the undersized athlete, right? It helps him with his confidence, with his toughness, and with his durability. You know what I mean? For the most part. Um, cause skills is not gonna get you all the way there. You're gonna have to have that toughness in athleticism. So,
0: well, you know, let me ask you this, because you know we talked about this in the context of Draymond and how you know he went, with, he played at Michigan State and Tom Izzo made him made him all tough and all that kind of stuff. I got to ask you, do you really think that Draymond got tough at, at, the, at by college as if he wasn't tough before that?
3: No, he got and- empowered. You know, no so, because when you're when you're an inner city kid, you can be tough, and then that can give you a bad rap, right? So you go to college. You got Tom Izzo. What if Tom Izzo didn't embrace that this kid was a tough guy that he needed to trust to be, you know, um, vocal in the locker room? Or, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, he probably saw how Draymond was, and was like, you know what? I'm going to empower that. I'm going to I'm going to feed that beast. I'm going to um, hold him accountable, but I'm going to give him that that space. And I think Steve Kerr does that too. And it it helps him be like an extension of the coach. And it overcompensates for, like, you know, lack of skill in other area. You know what I'm saying? And it makes him a a great all-around player and and a unique player because his stats does not tell it all, you know.
0: Right. I, I just think that, you know, it, it, it feels to me that a lot of that, that toughness that we see from certain players is, is genetic or personality wired. And if you really, if that is really the case, then why do coaches spend so much time trying to force other players to somehow achieve some other level of toughness that they might not probably ever be able to get to? Whereas, if, to me, what toughness can ultimately be is supremely skilled, and that's what makes you tough and has confidence when you know I'm, I'm going to be able to blow by you because my ball handling is so much better than what your defense can offer or I can shoot this ball so much better versus running these drills where like, they're going to have you run into people and dive on the floor and do all these like, you know, nonsense, you know, non-skilled physical things under the guise of like, well, you're going to get tougher from that. I get maybe the football thing where you do get cut. I mean, well, listen—if you either you get tougher in football or you get cut, or you know, you get your bell wrong every single time, I guess. But in basketball, I, I don't know. I feel like it's a it's, misplaced, um, toxic
2: masculinity. I agree. Uh, well, so it's—it's it's not a test, toxic masculinity thing. Um, and hopefully, everyone can hear me clearly. I just switched over to Bluetooth. Um, it's a if okay, so if you watched the um, documentary, the last dance documentary, um, Michael Jordan talked about how, uh, I don't know. I can't remember his first name, but his his last name was Burrell and he won a number 24. Well, Got first it. and foremost, the fact that they gave him number 24 while Michael Jordan is playing on the team was a, was a recipe for disaster. Um, but he talked about how he was a very skilled player but he was mentally weak. And so it's not like he wasn't a good player. It's that Michael wore on him because Michael was trying to make him stronger. But the fact of the matter is his, his coaches hadn't put that in him. And so he was able to exploit it and he was trying to, as his teammate, keep it from other people being able to exploit it. So if there's not a level of mental toughness in your player, someone who's very mentally strong or or a dominant personality is going to be able to exploit that and knock you off your game. Your game can speak for itself all at once. But if I come up and I take you out of your mental space, I don't have to be as good as you do. I just have to make sure that you're not as good as you can be. And a lot of times it's like Draymond talks about it's, There's no real tough guys in the NBA. Everybody makes too much money. It's like, are you really going to lose $300,000 because you fought with somebody? Like, let's be honest. Nobody's that dumb. Right.
0: I I can't believe I'm going to bring this up, but uh, I'm, I'm assuming you've all seen the original Karate Kid. Yes. Um, and I've been watching Cobra Kai, so it's on my mind, but okay, you know, I, that, that, that is clearly a method when you're at high level basketball of like getting people off of their game. And if they're not tough, you know, not being able to perform because the mental side is, is failing. Well, you know, I, I would argue that Daniel LaRusso <laughs> was really tough. And I would also, you know, point to the fact that did you ever see Mr. Miyagi, uh, you know, slap him in the face? Or knock him down, or insult him in endlessly over and over again in the name of like making him mentally tougher. Like no, and then that's that's the key. I think that Michael didn't know any other way, and so I'm not. Listen, I grew up in Chicago, was a huge Michael Jordan fan, and understood understood. I play with guys like that too, but um, I think that now in 2021. I think we have a little bit of better handle on what there are, that there are better methods than Definitely. to browbeat a teammate over months until maybe eventually they can handle it. You know, like like a Steve Kerr could handle it when he came in. To, you know, right away.
2: True, but you can, you're still going to be able to tell a guy he has to be tough, and and I'm I'm going to let you know everybody have the floor, uh, but you have to be a, even Miyagi when he when when Daniel was talking about. Oh, my wrist! It hurts so bad. I can't do it. It's like, no, you have to mentally. And he's pointing to his your mind. You have to. You have to get past the fact that yes, it's gonna hurt, but you're still going to do it as it hurts. So, though you can't, you know, go slap a guy upside the head, but you know when a guy starts whining, talking about, oh, I can't do it. It's it's he's too good. It's like, bro. Lock yeah. in. Let's go. Right. Like, but that, you know that, I mean?
0: absolutely. But what did he do? He's you know, focus, breathing, balance. Like these are the things that you can. He 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 programmed him right, basically like Pavlov's dogs. He programmed him with uh, again. This is what like Tony Robbins talks about with neural uh, linguistic programming, where you know, like I'll tell you a really quick story. Um, one of these guys, the Tony Robbins disciple, sat down with me. I'm like, give me something I can use for my basketball team. And he goes, okay. When something really good happens in a practice, not all the time, but every once in a while, when something really good happens, use a phrase or a word that will like you can tag, you can you know connect that feeling with this word. So that year it was Gangnam Style when that song came out, and we you know we, we would have like a you know. A high post and bounce pass and lay up on a backdoor cut I'd stop the practice that like, that was gangham style and they laughed at me I'd be mispronouncing the word whatever but I every you know once a week maybe whatever throughout the beginning of the year and I swear to god we were losing at halftime on the road against our huge rival and I'm trying to talk to them about you know whatever we have to do and I just said you know what we need we need gangham style they opened their eyes they smiled we went out there and like destroyed them in the third quarter and I thought I was cheating I literally thought I was cheating because I had set them up throughout the, for the first three months of the season to then respond based on that cue, which was just basically a word that I had decided you know, earlier. It was genius. So th- that's the kind of stuff that we can, un- and that's like one random tidbit I got from that. Imagine what we can unlock now that we understand like, how the brain works you know, and chemistry uh, and all those things. You know so what that's that that's what's exciting that about it.
3: form of, of hypnotism. And it yeah. and, and and was awesome, and, and, and it made me think about, okay, we're talking about mentality right now, and that is the most powerful thing, and that is the, the definition of of tough and strength, right, and will. So this is why Kobe was so important, because he actually left a mentality, the first player, to name a mentality that he is going to be remembered by. And, and at the end of the day, when we saw him walk off, on his Achilles, you know, you can hear stories about somebody walking on water. We saw this, right? That 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 is no words to describe that he did it. Um, we saw him get challenged to score sixty. His last game, he actually said, "No, no." Yeah. Challenged him... to score fifty and. Yeah, yeah. So then we saw him will himself to do it, and, and that's just um, you you can look at that and, and why he was able to do that because he's so mentally
4: tough. But, you know, I, I agree with Coach uh, Nick, though, about um these toughness coming from like your kind of your security, is your security in your ability to finish or ability to uh ability in your basketball skills. I think Kobe Bryant had a supreme confidence in his own skill because through the practice. He did, he but not that to. last
3: game. You can tell the last game of his career, he was on his way out. He had no plans on. And he didn't. In the belief in his ability, he was not the Kobe that think he can score 81. No more. He physically was not that K, that, that Kobe, and he mentally was preparing to leave and and make his daughter that player. He was mentally preparing to
2: bye bye. In, Col- in Kobe's words, and, and excuse my French, his his words were empty the fucking tank, leave nothing. Word. that was that was where he was. If you're not coming back, if there's nothing left, empty the fucking word.
4: I think if you work on your fundamentals and your skills, like in practice, like hours and out, and you know you've dedicated everything you have to that skill, I think it translates into the basketball court where. You know, in any kind of situation, you, you have supreme confidence that, like, you know, I practice this, you know, I, I can do this.
0: You know, the, the study we need to do, I think, is we need to identify the, you know, 12 players in the NBA who we feel are like the toughest mentally, right? Maybe make it more than 20, make it 20 or something. We now need to go back. I want to see them in fourth grade, interview their teachers or their, their coaches and find out if they had that toughness then. Because I would be willing to bet that they all did. They, you know, I, I taught, I've caught I've coached for fourth graders, third graders. You can see it then. You know, no one necessarily taught them that at that age, but they were like, things don't bother them so much. They miss a shot, they come right back down, they play. You know, the the things are they're unruffled. I suppose I listen. I want to believe that you can learn more toughness, but certainly, I think I, I guess the only way I would push back on that would be like the the idea of. Forcing them into this like, um, this toxic situation, and like what Kobe would do, or Michael Jordan would do in, in the name of getting them tougher is not the way to do it, certainly now. Um, and that most of those guys, I think, had it't did like they had it. It could very well be like e- either DNA uh, or their parents, you know what I mean? I don't know if you can force that onto somebody else who doesn't necessarily have it like that to begin with. Uh, yeah, I, I think
3: I think you can learn it more than you can teach it. You can you can learn what toughness is and, and incorporate it more than you can teach someone to be tough. You know, some some people's toughness come from neglect. Some people's toughness come from, you know, they see examples of their, their, their father. You know, he might come in, you know, he might goddamn put cover a bullet wound in front of him and he like, damn, that don't hurt. And he was like, no, my dad is so tough. I remember that. So nothing can hurt me. You know, sometimes it can be learned and picked up, and you, you, you just show, you you know, you give yourself examples of yourself when you when you might have got hurt or hit your head. And you're like, nah, oh, I'm a tough guy. What,
0: what's the overlap in the Venn diagram of toughness and confidence?
3: Confidence.
2: Or, or competitiveness, um, you, also. There has to be, okay, pressure is going to do one thing. I mean, two things. It's either going to burst a pipe or it's going to make a diamond. Um, You have to know who you are right you have to figure out who you are if you don't somebody else will tell you who you are you know what I mean you, mm-hmm. when you know they talk about um they're the type of guy that you want to get into a street fight with right or you know you hear announcer uh, not announcer but play-by-play guys say you know that's a guy I, I wouldn't want to uh, get caught in a dark alley going up against or that's the type of guy. If I'm going into a dark alley, I want I want him to be with me, because I know no matter what situation presents us, we're gonna fight our way out of this. And those are the things that Kobe was looking for, that Mike was looking for. It's like, hey, I've been to the mountaintop. I know what it takes to get there. You know, if, if you look at LeBron, the reason he was able to let Dwight do what he did to Jokic was because it was like, okay, if you're going to beat us, you're going to have to deal with everything I have to offer. And no, is LeBron that guy? No, but he surrounds himself with at least one of those guys. You look at Marquise Morris. He's not the most talented guy in the world, but he, do you want to go up against Marquise Morris in, in a game six or a game seven? It's going to hurt. You know, you look at Montrezl Harrell. It's the same thing. You know, he's a dog. He's a beast. You know, you hear these – these certain adjectives when you're describing these players, you need those guys because when you're talking about not the 82 game season, I'm talking about the seven game series, you need guys who are going to inspire fear in other guys because everybody is skilled. Everybody is talented. It's the extras. It's the intangibles. You know, you hear those things being said, so, you know, those are the things that you have to identify. And if you, you know, once you identify them, then you can expound on
0: Well, uh, you know, Abdullah jumped in here on the stage, and, and I don't, he's been pretty quiet. I figured, do you want to add to this? Or <laughs> am I the teacher? Oh, here you are. Not really.
1: Mickey. I Uh-oh. have nothing to say about like, toughness, because I feel like in basketball, you make a shot or you miss it, you know? I don't feel like there is that much...
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, it's I, a little hard to hear you. I couldn't quite hear you, but here's the thing. We got five minutes left.
1: Wasn't it wasn't
0: oh, okay. Well, either way, here's the thing. It's five minutes to go. I wanted to actually break into a little bit more of NBA stuff, if you guys don't mind. Just kind of polish it off with some of the preparation I did. Because, hey, who knew we were going to get into the in-depth conversation about toughness? Uh, I, I will th- to put a bow on that one. I, I can remember when I finally felt like I was at the, the, the height of my powers as a basketball player, probably like in my early 20s. And it was definitely rooted in the knowledge that I could really play. I really had a lot of skill. And that that made me tough because nothing bothered me because I knew the next time down I was gonna I would knock that shot down again or I'm gonna go buy the guy or whatever it was gonna be, shut him down and get the steal. And that so there is a progression, it seems like, of skill to confidence to toughness, at least now, versus the other way where it probably was we're gonna try and make you tough first, and then we'll deal with the skill stuff later. That was probably the more the mindset in the 80s and for all those decades before. And I feel like that's backwards. And, uh, and maybe now we're going to get to a place where, at the very least, when you're younger, you know, I'm talking about 10, 11, 12, you might actually enjoy the game more as you progress uh, toward that toughness setting, where then we start to get onto the toughest things that are we, we're all accustomed to in our youth, you know, a little bit later in the game, but... Let's talk about T.J. McConnell because we're talking about toughness. And, by the way, if you go back and look at Montrez Harrell when he was in third grade, I guarantee you he was the toughest mother ever in that class of whatever <laughs> you know, school he was at. Uh, but T.J. McConnell, I, I want to just throw this out there because, I, you know, the Hawks offense got shut down in the fourth quarter. Uh, the Pacers took control of the game and then won it going away. Trey Young didn't shoot a three-pointer. And so people are like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Look at that. Like, he didn't shoot it. Huh. When in reality, when you watch the fourth quarter, the Pacers go to a box and one and sict TJ McConnell on Trey Young full court, and Trey Young couldn't barely even get a shot off, much less a three. Nobody even notices that. Like, wh- I, that, I don't want to like light anybody up or like you know writers and the beat writers or whatever, but it's like I, I went searching, like nobody even mentioned zone box and one or anything. Didn't see it. Crazy! You should all go back and watch it. If you have League Pass, uh, check out that fourth quarter because it was an amazing uh, performance that like kind of went unheralded by uh, TJ. You
2: know, isn't was- sexy. It's because
1: unfortunately, it's, it's because people just look at stats and uh, and like watch highlights. They don't really like watch the game. So like, oh, Trey Young didn't shoot. He choked. He under- yeah. he's not good under pressure when uh, it was TJ McConnell chasing him around and not letting him have space. You know because it wasn't, a lot of, because it wasn't I a Patrick. Right. I was just saying because it wasn't like a Patrick Beverly or like one of those guys that are just really looked at as like elite perimeter like guard defenders. I feel like some of the times that stuff gets overlooked. Like I remember in a lot of big Lakers games last year. I, I know that everyone knows that Avery Bradley is an elite defender, but I remember in those big Lakers games last year when they played, like teams with elite guards like the Blazers and stuff. Air, Avery Bradley would just absolutely shut those guys down, and I wouldn't see a single thing about it. And maybe because that's he's mostly just defensive oriented, but it, it's just crazy how like some of these guys just get like media, like treated by the media in a way that's like it's just different from the smaller players. Defense I think they dropped the ball on
3: that
2: narrative,
3: yo. on that TJ narrative they dropped the ball on that though because that that is you know East. Code that is, um, you know, it's something. It could be, play a part in the playoffs or something like that. I mean, it happened.
0: Well, it, it also gives a pass to Lloyd Pierce because when you see a box and one, you now need to do that coaching thing, right, and figure out how to attack it better, and they never seem to do that at all. Like, I don't even know if they recognized it was a zone. I think that they did, but I don't know. Um, And that's the weird thing about this is that you're looking at, you know, the adjustments that would needed to have been made to then help him get shots or, you know, exploit the defense in a way. Now I'm looking at they did score 26 points in the fourth quarter, which is weird because when I was watching most of that fourth quarter, they were like turning the ball over and breaking shots. um, And they were really struggling. And that's when, you know, you need to be able to do those in-game decisions. I kind of brought this up last night too about the whole Popovich tree and how all of his assistants have pretty much been duds. Um, and, and then even the notion of Popovich, like, you know, <laughs> was it Tim Duncan? I mean, Phil Jackson gets the same rap, right? You know, he had Michael and, and Scotty you know, and, uh, and Shaq and Kobe, um, you know, how much did they really end up coaching? But, um, I, I, start to wonder if, um, if all that time, you know, when you're talking about the guys like, uh, Brett Brown, uh, Mike Brown, uh, who else did the Popovich tree, Lloyd Pierce, um, uh, Budenholzer, these guys make my ears prick up when I watch uh, my coaching years. and I'm watching them not adjust, and I'm watching them with dubious uh, tactics, uh, I wonder.
1: They're all- Mike Budenholzer, especially like I know he's a he's a former two time coach of the year, actually. But I mean, if I'm Milwaukee, it's time to look elsewhere, man. That guy cannot adjust to save Is to Borrego apart, I'll be Gentry, too, right? No, I I or did you say Barrego? Oh, Barrego. Yeah, I don't is. know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, Borrego, we kind of have to see because he hasn't – Let me look. Like, I think he, he hasn't really had, like, a real, like, playoff, like, actual threat in a while. I mean, those Kemba teams were okay. Like, they made the playoffs – But this, this year,
3: how he's this. dealing with LaMelo, you can tell – like, if you watched every game, I watch every game, you can yeah, tell exactly. this guy is in a personal, like, head battle with this, with this kid. And it's just not good. This is a player's league. This is an entertainment league. <laughs> You can't be treating a player like this college or high school, you know? The the flip side of that, though, like, I... I've also I'd probably watched every Hornets game. The flip
1: side of that is look how much Lamelo's gotten better from game one to what is in game 26 now. So, like, yeah, he didn't start and he was playing like he was getting pulled for him too many turnovers, not playing that many minutes. But he has improved so much over the course of the season where I feel like you could put this on Borrego if he wasn't improving, but he really is.
0: Well, here's the thing. Borrego was an assistant for seven years with uh, the Spurs right around the time when Tony Parker came in the league. And we all can probably remember that Popovich just tortured Tony Parker for a year or two in the beginning of his career to, to force him to the way he wanted to play. It worked out, you know, it did. Uh, and, it, and it looked like Breger was doing the same exact playbook. But then something changed. I, I got to look and see if it was an injury or not from somebody else, and they just sort of decided to let, it, let him go. Um thank god because yeah, if they were uh, who knows if how Lamello would have uh, reacted to that kind of treatment for like a year and a half straight from a coach right we, oh, by the way that happened with um oh Byron Scott did this to who did he do it to it wasn't Lonzo was it uh, no, it,
1: no. As
0: as it was um what's his face
1: was it D'Angelo Russell
0: yes and D'Angelo Russell, remember, he'd be, like, in the, in the press going, I don't know what the hell they want me to do. Like, they say this thing here, they say this thing, they yank me here, they yank me there. I mean, that – listen, that's, that's a whole other issue because that guy has got some issues himself as far as culture and being, a, you know, a good teammate, whatever. But, um, but that was, like, just ground zero, perfect example of, like, what that old-school mentality is on how to develop players in this league. Um, not that you want to let Dumelo just go and don't say anything to him and, you know, not a care or whatever, he makes mistakes. Um, but there's a certain amount of development that's necessary in an environment where you know the Hornets are not expected to win a ton of games or get to the second round of the
2: playoffs. Let the guy play. When I was an I intern, just, my my uh the CEO of my company, um, there was a general manager who was very, you know, tried to be old school corporate America at the company. And, you know, his motto was know your personnel. Yeah. Right? No who you can push know who you need to prod you know what I mean know who you need to corral because if not you're going to push the wrong person and it's not going to help you get to your end goal we're trying to uh, achieve accomplishment of a championship here and if you're going to push a guy and he's going to react negatively then you wasted your excuse me wasted your time
0: good point well, guys, guess what? The show has been an hour. I think uh, this was a really good one, and I think we got a lot of things. I think we solved some problems. What do you think?
2: Definitely good times, man. I got, right. Coach Nick, I have one quick question. Right, go for it.
1: You said you, you grew up in Chicago, you said? Yep. Was it, were you, was it like city Chicago or like a suburb? Come on, man. <laughs> 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 what do you think? I don't know. I don't know.
0: Uh, I grew up down the street from Wrigley Field.
1: Oh okay yeah I do Oh wow
0: you know, and by the way, that's the funny thing is when you're when you're young up until whatever, and people say, "Yeah, I'm from Chicago, and it turns out they're from like Naperville, you're like, yeah, right. "No, nah, you're why, not from that's Chicago why I was
1: confused because i'm 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 living in the Chicagoland area, and people always say i like, am from Chicago, and I never really know what that means.
0: Well, I've gotten over that, so I don't mind it as, uh, anymore, but I used to be take a great umbrage at people saying that, but uh you know, and listen, in Chicago, there's a suburbanite versus city mentality, probably still I'm right, and is that still a thing?"
1: Yeah, very much.
0: Yeah. So, you know, but whatever. It's all, it's all good. I mean, listen, I, you know, I'm a Cubs fan and uh, I, I cheer for the Sox in 04. I think it was when they went to this World Series. I found out later the Sox fans refused to cheer for the Cubs, uh, which I, it, it makes sense, but still was a little bit like crazy, but, uh, i'll tell you one thing living in la by the way uh and and then going back to chicago you realize how insane the sports are in chicago and how insane fans are of any sport in chicago versus here in la where it's like you know i mean lakers whatever but it's nothing
2: it's nothing yeah
0: we we have no
2: team spirit
0: I mean, listen. They they fly the flags and on the cars for the for the Lakers, and you know people are, are into it, and they're they're certainly into it on on like Twitter and stuff. Man, those Laker fans. But um, but I mean, uh, uh,
3: where, where's a good gym at, man? Any gyms open?
0: No, and they shouldn't be. I mean, actually, the cases are going down a lot, so pretty soon. But I mean, I mean listen, I, guys, I haven't been know, running, so
3: post up where they where they are doing. Uh, they they'll be at runs and workouts and training sessions. I'm like, damn. Yeah,
0: in. where you're talking about other parts of the country?
3: No, nah, like in, in, in L.A., I mean, well, they they'll, it might be old videos. Then I don't
0: know. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you're seeing – as far as – I mean, listen, the gym that I use on a high school campus, like they won't let me within blocks of it yet, even even now. Oh, okay. Um, you know what I mean? But, uh, you know, maybe Orange County is like that. I mean, I know that there's a, It's a – I mean, Orange County might as well be in the south, Uh, you know, the way that mindset is down there. Compared to what it is up here, but um, so
2: disappointing.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. But but and you know what? Politics aside, on that end, uh, they, they they definitely had this lack of. Um, uh, they they don't think COVID's real. Basically, down there, it's crazy. So um, anyway, well, listen. I hope you guys are all staying safe. We're almost out of this. The, the cases are going down. Deaths are not, but, you know, cases could be from the testing. But nonetheless, the vaccine is getting out there, and we'll all get back to this. And uh, we're we'll eventually going to see what the effect of having over a year off for these 8, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-olds, uh, it will be uh, on their development going forward. Like, do they ever catch up uh, and, get, and get back to where they would have been anyway? Interesting question that can affect college play, could affect pros, could affect everything. All right,
2: I want to see some stuff. Thank you, going guys, to be regarding who you know the, the have guys gotten better mentally. Um, while, yeah, you this. know th- through this.
0: It's a great question. Well, we'll keep our eye on it, Jason. Awesome stuff. Thank you for coming on, and everybody else in the room. Uh, don't forget, I'll be back here on Wednesday at nine a, uh, at eleven a.m. Pacific, and then every Sunday at nine a.m. So let's do it again. But uh, don't forget, sports fans, at B-ball breakdown. We're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you guys in? Yes. Yes,
1: sir. Very much, sir. See you Wednesday.